you must construct additional ideologies. And so on. Welcome to The Absolute State, a podcast by the investigative shitposters at Left Coast Right Watch. Each week, we'll bring you coverage from the absurdly dangerous to the dangerously absurd. I'm LCRW's editor-in-chief, Abner Hauge. This week, we're saying goodbye to Pride Month. It was a troubled celebration this year, given the ongoing attacks on abortion rights and LGBTQ plus rights. We'll talk about some of those attacks in depth. We'll hear about the GOP's plans to criminalize drag from Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch. We'll also hear from double-sided media's James Croxton. He'll tell us about a Pride event in Kaiser, Oregon that was shut down by right-wing threats. And we have an interview with Sunflower, an activist who was beaten bloody by L.A. cops at a Pride event this year. We'll say it now and again at the start of the segment in question. There's a strong content warning for descriptions of blood, injuries, and homophobic violence in this episode. Also, it's been a year since the anti-trans Wee Spa protests in Los Angeles. We'll talk to Eric LeVay, a journalist who covered those protests. And we'll hear from Precious Child, a trans activist and performer who was targeted by the far-right outrage mob. But first, let's get a sense of where things stand. For that, please welcome friend of the show and San Francisco-based radical lawyer, Christina DiEduardo. It's time to get into the absolute state of LGBTQ plus rights. We're here with Christina DiEduardo. Maybe you can give our, our listeners a little uh, intro first. Okay, sure. Well, hello, everyone out in podcast land. This is the first one I've done. Uh, I'm Christina. Um out trans woman for about 17 years and trans activist for longer than that. Also been an active street-level anti-fascist since 2017, mostly in San Francisco, but traveling when required. Um, I also wrote two books, one uh, about the mafia in San Francisco called Lanza's Mob, the other one called... uh, called Torture and Enhanced Interrogation, a source book. Both available at uh, finer booksellers everywhere. But uh, I'm glad to be here on the call. As I said, I've worked with um, LCRW on a number of events that we've both been at, and that's always been great. And so great to be here and hopefully add something to the discussion. Well, uh, we're really delighted to have you on, obviously. (laughs) Um, I know this is a broad question, but... Could you give us a state of, like, the legal attacks against trans people and queer people in general? To put it mildly, the the TLDR with it is it's not good. Also a lawyerly grasp of the obvious. What happened is, and I think that in a much shorter period of time than anyone expected, the right wing was able to essentially steamroller through near-identical bans on trans kids in sports by trying to escalate this oh it's somehow unfair americans like fairness or they more properly more properly said they like the illusion of fairness 
So I think that had an emotional appeal to people who don't know anything about the issue and don't particularly care to know. In the same way that liberals get funny when you start talking about deplatforming Nazis, because then they're then they'll respond with, "But what about free speech? And, and free speech is good, and it's an absolute good at all times." And you know, unfortunately, reality says otherwise. Same here. Despite the best efforts of people like Chase Strangio, who's been doing yeoman work fighting back against these bills, and the ACLU in some places, it does feel like there hasn't been a coordinated response from our side, and there should be. Moreover, they're attacking almost Zerg style, for those who, those StarCraft fans out there, on multiple fronts at once which is pretty smart from their perspective and bad for ours because it essentially requires us to either try to defend in every single state or to sacrifice good portions of the South and neither one is palatable. So that's a problem. Now, because once those bills started to come through, then and kind of, I think related to that were bans on care for trans kids. And this is where I think it's interesting to see the way that some of them are being written, is that I think the backers of these bills fully expect that some, if not all of them, will be struck down by lower courts, because they're extensive as heck. I mean, I think on one of these measures, they're actually trying to criminalize traveling out of state to obtain gender-affirming care for your child, Right. Which is kind of an interesting situation because this is normally the same ideological group of people that think the parents' views apply completely. In this case, even when the parents agree that, hey, my child is trans, I want to do all that I can to support them, we're going to try to criminalize that. And as I said, I I don't think – that's going to be upheld at the lower court. But what they're betting on is if they lose a few at the district court level, but win at any circuit court of appeal, and then let's assume another circuit like the Ninth Circuit goes the other way, as it probably would. Well, then they've got a conflict between the circuits, which means they've now got a very strong argument for Supreme Court review. And that is kind of was essentially the playbook on abortion, right? Given that you've got similar people on both sides, you know, running these efforts, I suspect that's part of their strategy. So we've got attacks on trans kids being in school, being allowed to transition. And now in some cases, I think uh, either Florida or Texas, I saw, was now trying to do it where if – a trans kid is on an overnight, like all the other children have to be informed and the kids have, the kid essentially has to be outed. Jesus Christ. To some degree, I think them pushing the narrative of, oh, pride is just, you know, sex obsessed and it's not a place for children because, of course, you know, this is exactly what they said about queer people in general and trans people in particular up until about 10 years ago. Now they're saying it out loud again. It's a propaganda that has an effect. Americans will do all kinds of ridiculous things and believe all sorts of ridiculous things if they think they're protecting children. Right. 
despite the fact that they're actually endangering children, particularly trans kids, and they don't seem to care too much about that. So those are the problems. I mean, I, I suppose the good news is that the uh, more enemies that we have that reveal themselves, the, the less time we have to waste trying to unmask them. <laughs> so there's a positive side to it. There are some places for opportunities, and this may come together. As much as I would have preferred that Dobbs had gone the other way, obviously, because this affects trans people as well, as uh, someone else had pointed out on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, and I apologize because I would give you a shout-out, but I will credit you that it wasn't my idea. If birth control is not available, then HRT is likely not available. So that is a shared issue. That is a place where trans people and cis people who care about reproductive freedom ought to be able to work together. And I think back to when Ireland was trying to legalize abortion by constitutional amendment, and it was striking the way that trans people stepped up without being asked and said, yes, obviously, we want to be in favor of this because this this is a good thing. That might be an area we can organize around with cis people. It's not just, hey, you should care about trans rights because this makes you a better person, although those things are true, but because it's in your interest. You need to care about trans rights because if you don't, they're going to come for you next. You know, that was one of the really insidious things that I saw at some of the protests. I was in Los Angeles when the Dobbs decision came down. There was, you know, a bunch of very trans-exclusionary signs like 100% of unwanted pregnancies are caused by men and stuff like that and people yeah. were talking about it like oh this is a women's rights issue which it is but not just obviously as we both know I didn't really have a question there <laughs> I just no no I, but I, I agree with you and I feel like that is one of those things where I mean it's the same thing where you see having to call in white women in general who go off about this, oh, we should just have mandatory vasectomies for men until they're able to prove that they're ready to handle a baby. With no knowledge or perhaps not caring, how exactly does a statement like that play in communities that were sterilized against their will for decades? Right. And it doesn't play well. I feel like when people are raw, it's hard to have those conversations. Okay, so that's all the bad stuff. Uh, the good stuff, though, the week before Trans March, from multiple sources, I was getting the same niblet statement that, oh, Proud Boys are scouting out Dolores Park, you know, ahead of Trans March, so be careful, carry pepper spray. And I said, okay, it's good to be prepared. It is not good to panic. And what do we know about the Proud Boys? Well, their last major attempt at a mobilization was here in October of 2020. They left their dignity and their teeth behind after <laughs> they had to flee and be evacuated in SFPD vehicles. I was part of the shield line for that. Good times. Because local anti-fascists have gone so hard for the last five years, it's impossible for them to do a major mobilization in the area. You know, things like the attack on Drag Queen Story Hour are possible because as far as I understand it, that was a small cell of people who all know each other. Trying to do something at Trans March is a different kettle of fish. Trans March has been doing this for a minute. There are trained safety teams that are pretty well organized. 
I think it's much more in the fascist's interest to spread rumors about things they're going to do than to actually do them. Reason? They do enough of these that can persuade people not to come, and they get the benefit of doing an action without having to spend resources and actually doing one, if that makes sense. I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to ask about it anyways. We were hearing some of those rumors as well at LCRW. I just couldn't find anything on Telegram. We couldn't find anything anywhere, even on 4chan or something, saying, hey, let's spread some rumors and fuck with these people. Either it was a really brilliant fascist op or it was just somebody, some kind of, you know, telephone game thing. Yeah, exactly. The part that might concern me, coming on the heels of the attack on Drag Queen Story Hour, what they're trying to do is just get people scared enough to deter attendance at this. If enough people do that and the event is continues to be smaller and smaller, they kind of win without actually having to do anything. I'm disinclined to give them a victory. I definitely agree, and we just decided we weren't going to post anything about it on Twitter. We weren't going to write an article because that would essentially stoke fears. Right. We saw what kind of happened towards the the end of the day on Pride, right, where there there was kind of a mass panic, right? That's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that anybody should be a dick at Pride. But it's not exactly unusual. We've had at least one or two shootings every Pride. People forget about this. It's often not even homophobic or transphobic. It's people coming to Pride who are neither queer nor trans, uh, drinking too much, bringing guns, and making bad decisions. A few years back, some gang members came in, started a fight, literally bashed the boyfriend of like the head of the sisters. Apparently... Pride became kind of a good place for warring gangs sometimes to get their opposite numbers because it's hard to get somebody in their neighborhood because they're expecting you. But we've had that sort of violence here for a while. I don't like it, but I don't know that that's necessarily a quick, let's shut the whole Pride Festival down. The bigger issue, too, is I think we need to start decoupling Pride and Trans March to the extent that we can from city security and from the SFPD. And that means building up our own our own security, building up our own defensive organizations. That's the kind of protection I have faith in as a queer person because cops have never done anything other than persecute me. I have no belief that they will ever protect me since they've never done that in the past. I was kind of shocked to see, okay, well, SFPD basically shut down Pride early and well, now fascists know how to shut down any pride march. It's much easier for the cops to have a pretext to shut it down. Exactly. I mean, I think some of this is the same people. As the old saying goes, you know, some of those who burn crosses also work forces. Right. I think given local political conditions for right now, where... We have a mayor that's busily slashing huge chunks of the uh, city budget. So there's no money for education, no money for affordable housing, but cops get everything. Right. And this is the way Mayor Breed has been trying. It says a lot that when Pride made the the Pride board made probably the most milk toast suggestion they could, which was please 
don't march in the parade in police uniform. The cops went bananas and, you know, and said, okay, we're not coming at all. And then the firefighters didn't want to come. The reason that they're so annoyed about the lack of uniform is they don't get paid unless they're in the uniform. It is unclear to me why my tax dollars go to fund cops, most of whom hate people of color, hate queer people, and hate trans people, to march in our parade. Why is that happening? Why are they there at all? When the Pride Board had a wonderful opportunity and, you know, and the mayor says, I'm not going either, they should have said, okay, that's nice. Have a nice day. (laughs) But instead, of course, they caved. Of course, they had to compromise. And the compromise, as I recall, was they let the command staff wear their uniforms and everybody else was in (laughs) T-shirts. Ridiculous. (laughs) Ridiculous, right? People forget this. One of the neat things about this trans march, beyond the fact that it was an official one, so as opposed to the uh, bootleg one that Holden Carrow and I put together last year, we could actually just focus on marching. So I was mentioning to my, my girlfriend's sister about the why we were marching to the Tenderloin and why Compton's Cafeteria and that 1966 uprising is so significant. And a lot of that colors my view of the police, especially the SFPD, which is, look, the whole reason we're doing this is because... Our ancestors, most of whom were trans women of color and most of whom were trans women of color who were sex workers, literally had to fight the cops, literally fought the cops and won. That's the reason we get to live outside of the tenderloin. That's the reason we get to step outside of the tenderloin without cops feeling free to beat the shit out of us. I think for a long time, we thought oh, if we have queer people on the police force or queer people who are firefighters, this is progress, progress, progress. And, you know, as the saying goes, the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house. Queer cops and queer firefighters are upholding a system that's actively toxic to queer people. It's like expecting if Jews joined the Nazi party, they're not going to reform it from within. It would thought to be ridiculous if anyone claimed they were doing that. When queer people do that, it's kind of the same thing. And this may be one of the few positive things from Dobbs is people are waking up to the realization that our quote unquote, you know, even when there's a party of government that still thinks they're the official opposition party has literally no strategy other than vote more often and give us more money so we can ask you to vote more often and give us more money. Are you going to do anything? I think Biden has made, um, I think the DOJ has tried to intervene in one lawsuit in the South against to try to protect trans kids. But it's hardly the wide-ranging effort that's necessary. Candidly, it's not the wide-ranging effort that you would expect if any other marginalized group were under attack. Even to Biden, who once said, Trans civil rights were the civil rights issue of our time. Is disinclined to spend any energy or political capital trying to help. People are starting to realize, okay, well, there's an organized effort on one hand to impose fascism. On the other hand, we've got a bunch of guys who just say, well, let's just keep voting and working within the system that has obviously failed to work. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect better results. Some of that's going to require us to look at things a little bit differently.
That said, from my perspective as an anarchist and uh, someone who does believe in <laughs> mutual aid, that's where I would like to see some of the discussion going. Hopefully that will happen. Time will tell, right? Was there anything you wanted to bring our listeners' attention to, like organizations they should support, resources they should check out, that kind of thing? The one thing I would recommend is uh, if you're not on Twitter, change that. Although it has its issues and there, there are some limitations activism-wise, it's the most efficient distribution channel that's publicly accessible that we have. I would suggest to begin following some pages like It's Going Down and Unicorn Riot, as well as LCRW, of course. You guys are essentially kind of my holy trinity for anti-fascist news from a wider perspective. Once you start following some of those groups, that will lead you, especially in the area of uh, abortion rights, to some of the groups who have been doing this sort of mutual aid thing for a long time. It's important to look at who's been doing the work versus groups that are set up overnight by somebody who kind of treats it like a startup. They don't last very long and resources get wasted and there's not a lot of money and resources that's available for this kind of work. It should go where I think it can do the most good. Beginning to ask those questions leads to better results. Well, uh, thank you so much for everything. Keep up the great work. And we'll see you in the streets soon. Thanks again to Christina. Our staff has been showing up to the same protests as her for five years now. She's always a warm and welcoming presence at otherwise tense and dangerous events. Next, we'll head up north again to hear from James Croxton at Double Sided Media. James has a story from a small town near Eugene with big implications. A quick note about James's interview. Uh, there's some artifacts and other bad stuff in the audio that make it a little unpleasant to listen to. We tried to smooth it out as best as we could in post-production, but it's still there a bit. Uh, again, apologies. Okay, we're here with uh, James Croxton from Double Sided Media once again. Glad to have you back, James. Thank you. So, so uh, we're talking this week about... It's our Pride Month special, and we're talking this week about threats and cancellations of Pride events around the country. And there's a local story that uh, you covered for us at LCRW that I just wanted to have you talk about. Absolutely. Kaiser Pride. So what happened? Why did it get canceled? So uh, last year, 2021, Kaiser Pride, which was entirely organized by a single uh, BIPOC queer woman, single person organized the first ever Kaiser Pride Fair. And... Although city council was actually, they seemed to be really enthused about it. They talked great things about it during city council meetings. Um, the city did not protect the fair from right-wing harassment. Um, and this was in the form of a far-right group called the RV Salt Shakers. RV stands for Rogue Valley which is um, south of Eugene. And 
this group, uh, they've repeatedly come to Eugene Pride during that event every August. Uh, they show up with their large PVC pipe signs and banners and spew their hate. Um, I mean, to somebody who was just walking by and didn't know exactly who these people were, you might even think it was Westboro Baptist Church. So what kinds of things did the Salt Shakers do to disrupt Kaiser's Fright event? They did the usual, which is show up with their signs. However, things did become physically violent. A counter-protest had formed around the Salt Shakers, and at one point there was a scuffle after the Salt Shakers assaulted a counter-protester, and then the result of that was the counter-protesters ripping up um, their signs. How did folks feel about that going into what was supposed to be this year's Pride? Were were folks anticipating more hatred and more disruption, or...? Yes, that was because members of the Kaiser City Council had been in contact with people associated with that big Reawaken America tour stop uh, that was actually held at Volcano Stadium. And because of this connection, Claire Snyder, the organizer of the event, said that she, uh, quote-unquote, did not feel that in good conscience could risk uh, exposing her beautiful queer community to any possible harm or hate. And so just with the increase in right-wing activity in that region, in that specific region of Oregon, uh, she felt it was now unsafe to even consider holding a Pride event there. Let's back up a little bit and talk a bit about uh, Reawaken. Uh, You and I both did a joint article together about what happened at Reawaken. It was essentially a QAnon event, pretending it wasn't a QAnon event. Uh, General Michael Flynn, well, former General Michael Flynn, was the headliner, and uh, a bunch of speakers were just former or current QAnon promoters anti-vax people, religious right pastors and all of that. It was in itself a huge disruption for the city of Kaiser, right? It was. And um should mention that, you know, tickets for this event, there were around 4,000 tickets available and they sold for $250 a pop and... Uh, most importantly, a half off if you were a pastor. Right, and it sold out. It was like a million-dollar event. It sold out, and there were, um, I would say, hundreds of people were reported to have been turned away. In their, and it caused a huge traffic mess, and it was, it, it disrupted the city in many ways. But it was... 
very well liked by a, a lot of people in city government, correct? Yes, uh, it, it appeared so. Could you talk a little bit about Kaiser? What's the town like culturally like for people? People associate uh, Eugene and surrounding parts of Oregon with being kind of like college towns, kind of liberal. But what's it? What's kind of the predominant culture there? Chuds. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that I, I I hate to say that, but that is the predominant culture. Um, of, of Kaiser, based on my personal experience, I do not speak for others. For our listeners, chuds is a kind of a slang term for the burly right-wing obnoxious assholes who drive big trucks and, you know, the stereotypical Trump supporter types. Could you talk a little bit more about uh, what led up to this year's Kaiser Pride being cancelled? Just, um, I I understand that there were some pretty grave threats against uh against the organizer or apart from just the atmosphere in the town being just not welcoming. Yeah, I mean she had received many threats. Um she had said that she was scared even in her own home and she would have to plan her weekends out in order to avoid white supremacists. That's the experience of a BIPOC queer woman in an overall chuddy, white, Christian-dominated city in Oregon. And it's very uncomfortable. And I I think without, without official city backing, there was just no way that she was going to be able to ensure any modicum of safety, unfortunately. The one other point I wanted to touch on was um, there's a local church in Salem that's, well, would you call it, it's the River Church, right? The River Church, which this is so intertwined. So one of the main reasons that Claire Snyder had decided not to proceed with a pride event this year was because she and the group of people that uh, were supporting her had concerns that city council members had invited members of the River Church to an official City of Kaiser prayer breakfast. One of the attendees of that prayer breakfast was Jerry Walker, who owns Kaiser Volcanoes Stadium, and that, of course, is where the event was held, uh, the Reawaken America event. And so lots of interconnecting things between the church, this specific church, and the city. And I should say really quick that that church did, in fact, host the reawaken tour stop i mean it it was it was pretty much their hosting event but the thing specifically about canceling the pride event the head pastor or at the river church was gloating about it right oh absolutely they were 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They were very happy with how things had turned out. Yeah, I the quote I think was uh the enemy was threatened by us eating breakfast or something. But maybe you could talk a bit more about what's the what's kind of the vibe at the River Church like what kind of rhetoric do they spout? The River Church is a very right-wing oriented church um there's hints of uh, anti-vax conspiracy, QAnon conspiracy, so on and so forth. Quote was, uh, Pastor Wooden had said, I'm just so excited that we were able to just sit down and the found devil is so intimidated that they shut down the whole pride fair um, before, like, and we wrote this in the article, but he had this like really maniacal laugh at the end of that statement, and it really made me uneasy. Hallelujah. Amen. Leapers Amen. leaping around the room. I want to give a praise report. Can I give a praise report while of you're course. still doing announcements? Yes, give a praise we, report. Um, we went to a mayor prayer breakfast. <laughs> oh, this is a praise. Yeah. And um, I didn't. we didn't even pray. No. And... We, you know, not everybody was really Us happy. as the River Church. Yeah. We didn't force, we didn't we didn't force, force ourselves anything. in. We were invited. We were invited in and, uh, you know, sat down. It was very respectful, very quiet. Mm-hmm. And um, Which is amazing. Which is amazing, a miracle <laughs> in itself. And um, it comes out in the paper the next day <laughs> that they canceled the Pride Fair in Kaiser because the reawakened the threatening of the reawakened tour and Pastor Lou and the River Church at the mayor prayer breakfast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it was it made it clear that they needed to with us being there. Yeah. It was us being <laughs> I mean the devil I'm gonna tell you right now, the <laughs> devil is so lame that the enemy yes. was threatened by us eating breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, it just cracks me up. <laughs> We've wrapped up Pride Month, and we're doing this episode kind of on the anniversary of the whole We Spy incident in Los Angeles last year. I wanted to ask you to meditate on what's the state of, you know, LGBTQ plus rights and safety in the country right now, particularly in your area. The queer community, the LGBTQIA plus community at large nationwide is being threatened every second of every day in this climate. And especially in this area where we do have large population of proud boys, um, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, you do run the risk of having them show up um, at events, especially with drag events. Has not happened here in Eugene um, as of yet, but and and we can only hope it will not happen. Um, But the one thing that we do know here in Eugene and in other parts of Oregon is that 
if you're going to host or hold a pride fair or outdoor event, you should at the very least expect the Rogue Valley salt shakers to show up with their hate speech and their signs. Um, if we're lucky, their counter presence, the Rogue Valley pepper shakers, uh, will be there to counter. Well, maybe we can end this on a happy note and uh, you could tell us about the Pepper Shakers. So the Pepper Shakers were founded in complete response to the Salt Shakers. And it's a mutual aid group. They do mutual aid um, in that part of Oregon. And they counter most of the Salt Shakers events. And it's just kind of funny that they have, you know, the pepper shaker, salt shaker name. You can't deny it. Like, it really works. It does. It's pretty cute. I mean, you and I have both been to countless street actions up and down the coast. And I guess kind of echoing when we were talking about uh, abortion rights last week, what do you think's going to be the most effective thing uh, going forward for just local people organizing to do I've said this story to many people and it's I was at a protest in Portland one day in the Pearl District a nice rich area and I was standing on a grassy field with a fellow journalist and I asked him a question I was like hey with all that's going on why isn't the you know what is it going to take to push the needle? And he pointed upwards at the skyscrapers and was like, you have to get those people on the same side as Black Bloc and the people that, that are on the ground doing the work on the ground. And it's not only do you have to maintain momentum on the ground, but you also have to find ways to essentially for lack of a better term, market yourself and market your movement to the broader liberal population, which sounds cringy. It's going to be hard, but there's no other way to get over what is happening right now, in my opinion. Well, James, thanks uh, so much for your time again. Where can folks find you and your work? Where can folks find uh, double-sided media? And uh, where can they support y'all? You can find my personal work mostly on Twitter at J-W-C-R-O-X-T-O-N, J-W Croxton, doublesidemedia.com. We also have a Twitter, which is doubleside541. We're also on Facebook. And we have a Patreon at Media and greatly appreciate any support that comes our way. All right. Well, we'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure, as uh, everything just gets weirder and weirder every month. As the fall of Rome continues, yes. (laughs) All right. Well, you take care. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again to James. We'll have links to his coverage at LCRW and Double Sided Media in the show notes. Next up, let's hear from Sunflower 
an activist who was brutalized by police during the Los Angeles Pride Parade. Strong content warning on this interview for graphic descriptions of violence, injuries, and blood. It was actually the first time I've ever been to Pride or anything, so that was an interesting first (laughs) Pride experience. Getting brutalized by the same people that we were protesting against in the Pride Parade, too, and none of the Pride organizer people who were like running the parade had any problem with us being there we were being like respectful and calm and you know we were just like there with the parade when they stopped we stopped and um so so let's back up so you came to the big la pride parade i showed up there just like autonomously to show support because i knew that there was going to be um like a no cops at pride part of the parade um i really just went for that and to experience pride for the first time it was just like me and my friend so what happened the officer had recognized me from a few days prior at the people summit march we had exchanged a few words there and as i'm walking away from him i just spit on the ground because i just needed to spit and the next thing i know he's like charging at me saying this is what you get for spitting on people he had punched me the next thing I know I couldn't see anything because I had blood in my eyes and like the the right side of my eye was already like bruised from the impact and then it was kind of like getting shuffled around by the crowd I couldn't see anything the next thing I know I'm on the floor by the officer and then the next thing I know I'm being like yanked up by other people (laughs) and the officer then comes around them and full-on chokes me with his bare hand he has his other hand on the back of my neck so he's like pressing into his hand like from the back of my neck so pressing me even more I was like losing consciousness I don't remember much I remember being like shuffled around the crowd after that and then the next thing I know I was being detained and dragged on the burning concrete all I could do in that moment was scream it was horribly painful one just being dragged And also, like, the burning hot concrete, like, suffocating you because it was so hot. It was, like, like, you step outside in, like, the Arizona heat, basically, and, like, all you breathe in is heat. And there's, like, imagine being pinned against that pavement. Yeah. I then had about three seizures, I believe. They were, they said that they were, like, a minute each and a minute apart, probably longer than that. Uh, I'm epileptic and in extremely stressful situations I can get seizures especially if I'm overheated I have a back injury that induces syncope if you like press against it too hard like if my arms are pulled behind my back so it's like that whole situation and being punched in the face like (laughs) like of course I was gonna have a seizure um, or like just an epileptic episode because I had three seizures so I was then taken to the hospital, still detained, and handcuffed to the bed the whole time. Spent, like, five hours there with two officers in the room the entire time. I had to pull my um, eyebrow piercing out of my face because <laughs> it was, like, lodged in my skin, and the e- uh, the ER nurses wouldn't didn't want to pull it out, so I, the cop had to use his, like, phone as a mirror for me. And then I spent the next few hours after that in jail until, like, 1 o'clock. I had been shuffled from, like, the Hollywood station being processed into the um, the Los Angeles Metropolitan Jail in downtown L.A. So that's pretty much how it went down that day. <laughs> because he saw you spit on the ground. Yeah. 
apparently he said that it got on his ankle originally and then when he came into my jail cell like they basically told me like i had to give an apology to him to get my charges reduced so they wouldn't add like resisting arrest or something like that so he came into my jail cell with uh no body cam on like literally no body cam on him like it was taken off his little holster thing and he's like i didn't punch you i didn't choke you um I'm, i serve with dignity and so i was just like okay <laughs> and he's like yeah you spit you spit all here and, and so he said that he uh it went from his ankle to being spit like i spit on his hip area like and now your story's changing when you don't have a body cam on so that was interesting that's horrifying yeah and he's like this big bald white cis heterosexual man and the funniest thing was he had this little the all-inclusive flag you know with the little triangle for black lives matter part of it and he's like in the in my jail so he's like and you guys broke my flag you guys broke my he was like you guys broke my flag and i watched the videos back and his flag is intact the entire arrest even when after i'm like being shuttled into the ambulance his flag was on his his waist not broken at all so i'm like why did you even have to lie about that so are you doing anything legally moving forward or he is being investigated for category one use of force which is like the really bad one for him i do need an attorney to pursue legal action so i have three options right now which is two private and then based off of the nlg the public defender attorney whatever so i'm just trying to see what my options are right now right now i'm just hoping that my charges get dropped so yeah wow that's really fucked up how do you feel about that happening specifically at pride at the first pride that you've gone to Honestly, it doesn't surprise me. I had a really bad feeling when we were pulling up, like, parking. We had found a perfect parking spot. Everything was going great. I had talked to some of, like, the parade organizer, Like, not, like, the organizers themselves, but, like, the people who are, like, the red shirt people who were, like, in charge of, like, all right, we need to clear the cynic section. Like, basically, like... The March volunteer yeah, security thing. basically. Um, and so everything was good until we got to that intersection. And what was really weird about it is he was right in the middle of the crowd. And all of the officers during that event had been like way off to the side of the crowd. And I think that's what also provoked it. It was because why was he right in the middle of the crowd of this no cops at pride part of the parade, like actively walking up to it? Yeah, I think that LA Pride should have gone with privately trained LGBTQ security basically, that are non-cop affiliated on the ground. They could have done that easily. Many pride parades do private security so that way the people who are triggered by the fucking police, which is a majority of black and brown queer folk, like, why would you have police at pride? And why would this one cis heterosexual six foot something white man cop (laughs) have to be right in the middle of the crowd? And of course, he was the one who was the most violent. It's just more and more shocking to me the more I think about it. Did the Pride organizers make a statement at all about this or say anything to you or reach out? So we actually had this private non-recorded meeting with the mayor, like some mayor office affiliates, the LGBTQ coordinator for LAPD. 
um, and one of the LA Pride organizers. And so they were all just, like, shocked that it happened at all. And I'm like, how are you shocked? Like, the whole reason we have Pride is because of police brutality against the queer community. And I also told them, I'm like, I would not be having this meeting if I was a black or brown queer person right now. And if I was a black or brown queer person, it wouldn't have gotten nearly as much coverage as it's gotten. And... I wouldn't have been able to have that privilege of literally sitting in that meeting, the first meeting ever, for holding accountability for LAPD and their brutality against queer folk. So, Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I just hate the police. As my final thoughts. They absolutely don't protect anybody. They, there's absolutely no reason for them to be at Pride, so, especially because they have a history of being homophobic, queerphobic, transphobic, and racist. So, yeah. Thanks again to Sunflower for sharing their harrowing story. There's a link to their recovery fundraiser in the show notes. Please help them out if you can. Sunflower will be back later when we talk about We Spa. But first, we wanted to give you some context about just what went down at We Spa. We Spa is a day spa in Koreatown, Los Angeles. A year ago, a video of a cisgendered woman complaining about a trans woman at the spa went viral. The story was tailor-made for the right-wing outrage machine. We Spa was soon inundated with threats. On July 3rd, right-wingers protested outside the spa. LCRW covered it at the time. My coverage included an anti-trans activist getting heckled and chased away by counter-protesters. That got Glenn Greenwald to label me a, quote, Pathetic, cowardly, anonymous, lap-ring, anti-right-wing extremist account. He misspelled LARPing, by the way. But make no mistake, these were tense protests. Several people were assaulted and injured pretty badly. Although I came out okay, some were not so lucky. Let's hear from Eric LeVay, a journalist who covered the protests alongside me. What started the whole We Spa fiasco, anyways? <laughs> yeah, you like like you were saying before, we're coming up on one year. So I went ahead and I was just rereading a couple articles just because even though I was at both of them. And the rundown, basically, as I best remember it, was that uh, a video went viral of a woman who was yelling at the staff alleging that a man in the spa with other women. The short version is that this video, it goes viral. It's picked up by far-right media. That led to protests, which went... Well, you were there. Who ended up actually showing up to heckle trans people that day? It seemed like there were a bunch of different groups there whose purpose was basically, you know, they're bigots. I mean, that's why they were there. Some of them are ones that we've seen around L.A. before, there were right-wing extremist groups there, like the Proud Boys. What happened during those protests? What kind of violence do you remember happening? It pretty much exploded in violence. I mean, I, I it's difficult for me to even remember where exactly it started, but there was, of course, right-wing extremists. A number of people were injured by the LAPD. And, you know, it's also, like, important to say, or it'd be impossible not to say, that I was attacked by a mob who are not right-wing extremists. And that's not really what this episode is about, but that's 
that's important too to talk about the dangers that we face in this job. Mm-hmm. It's not always where you think it's coming from. And I don't have too much to say about that, but it's just it would be impossible for me to talk to you without at least bringing that up. When I got there, it was just so tense. And even before there was violence, I was being constantly harassed. People were coming up to me, asking me who I was. People were asking me what my badge number is, you know, just like the same old stuff. Which is, by the way, is really fucking dangerous. Like, if you're not sure who somebody is, like, it's okay to have a polite conversation like a normal person. When you start doing stuff like that, it puts people like you and I in a lot of danger. And when it got violent, I would say it was the most violent protest I've ever covered. People don't really realize, like, people got stabbed multiple times. There was that guy walking around with the taser, or you remember him, that everybody thought it was a handgun. You know, and what about Rocky, Rocky Romano, who was assaulted over the head with a club? I'm not sure if it was metal or it was something that definitely had Rocky not been wearing a helmet. I'm sure he could have been killed or something he was. Yeah, that day, a lot of violent people came out and chose to exercise that violence based around a dubious social media video. Now that we see dozens of these kind of videos every week from accounts like Libs of TikTok, that whole thing's just become normal now. That's a great point, and you're right. Actually, looking back on it, so the, the We Spy incident is sort of like a harbinger, I guess, of what was to come. It's possible now to spread misinformation and, and hate extremely quickly, quicker than people have ever been able to. Social media has its positives. People have a voice now in a way that they didn't have before, but it also allows someone to have sometimes an outsized voice and a, uh, a dangerous voice, which... One person who's just full of of hate can have a horrible effect on a lot of people. You kind of nailed it on the head there. I, I think it's really important to be as calm as possible and think things through. While I'm always most afraid of these right-wing extremist groups, what the police might do, just generally, there's so many aspects of that story that all boil down to people losing control of themselves. And I think we'd be in a better world if everybody would just take a breath for a second. And that goes for almost every group that was out there, to be honest. Great. Thanks so much again for your time. We really appreciate it. I think this has been really valuable. Thanks, Ever. It's a pleasure. And my Twitter account is Eric LeVay, L-E-V-A-I. And we'll make sure we link to your Twitter account. And you've been doing some crazy stories that we're going to have you back on. Thanks again to Eric for coming on. Before we go on, just a note. It's not our intent to shame people who came out to counter-protest the bigots at Weespa and mistakenly targeted Eric. The violence was instigated and overwhelmingly done by the far right. Those days at Weespa were incredibly tense. There were very real shooting threats, as we'll hear from Precious. Street actions are complex, anxiety-ridden events, and a lot can go wrong at them. But we thought Eric's message was an important one. It's vital to keep a cool head, be strategic, and remember that fascists brought this fight to you. Next, we'll hear from Precious Child. She's a musician and activist who became a fixture in the protest scene in L.A. after the George Floyd uprising. Precious was targeted by local far-right figures after the Weespa hysteria got into full swing. She told us her story. You'll also hear again from Sunflower, as they also countered the bigots at Weespa. I think it was, uh, I first heard about Weespa when 
Uh, someone let me know that this right-wing instigator who was at January 6th named me in an Instagram post uh, would put up a picture of me saying that I was uh, that I had exposed myself at Wee Spa and uh, was a sex criminal and that was about uh, middle of June around uh, around this time June 17th or 18th or so just based on nothing obviously yeah this person I believe that they knew me from my activism in Los Angeles around George Floyd and the racial justice protests of 2020 and 2021. For 2020 and 2021, I was doing live streaming of protests to bring visibility and to explain to the general public why people were marching around in the streets to help contextualize their actions. And so I became a sort of... Um, D-tier celebrity uh, around that and since this person knew my face and knew my name and knew that I was trans they figured that I would be a good target I mean how did you feel going into these protests like um, were you getting threats because of their post I received a large number of uh, death threats and hate mail harassment I uh, got doxxed. That was a pretty bad time. I, uh, you know, I had to leave the place that I lived in for, for five years, go out basically underground in LA to avoid getting killed. I am a 2A person and I do carry because I've got a concealed carry permit, but that doesn't help a bullet from in the back. So that was a, yeah, that was pretty bad and that was all leading up to the first Weezbop protest on July 3rd. So let's talk about the day of. When you kind of stepped on the ground, what were you seeing? So there was a um, there was a protest at Weezbop by the transphobes and by the fundamentalists, and there was a counter-protest at Weezbop by the, we'll just call them the humanitarians that think that trans people and queer people deserve to live. And I, I'd seen postings on online about the about the counter protest, but I didn't know that I didn't know if anyone was going to show up at all. I wasn't connected with the LA protest community. I through my streaming, I mostly knew people that worked in press. I didn't really know any protest organizers or uh, anti-fascists or the like personally. I, I tried to always keep my distance, so. You know, so they could smash my camera if they felt it was a good idea to do so. So when I showed up, I showed up by myself. And uh, I wrote a letter the night before to my friends saying that um, I'm likely going to go get beat up and maybe killed tomorrow. But I need to stand up against these people because one, I refuse to be dominated for my identity. And I will meet them head on. So, uh, yeah, I showed up by myself, and I was really uh, in a state of extreme anxiety and alert, <laughs> I'd say. I parked, like, two blocks away, and I walked up to Wee Spa, and I didn't see anyone. I'm like, oh, shit. 
<laughs> I'm here by myself. Right. And then I turned the corner, and there were like a uh, hundred people or so for the counter protest. And I was like, "Yay!" <laughs> I was very, very happy about that. Obviously, I didn't have the target on my back that you did that day, but I was pretty damn scared that day myself. Um, that nobody was going to show up. That it would just be me, a couple other reporters, and a bunch of bigots. When you saw that the counter-protest outnumbered the bigots, did that change the way you were? You felt like you were going to operate that day? Uh, I still felt, um, you know, very anxious. You know, I, I had a lot of uh, caffeine that morning, so I would be alert and anxious and situationally smart. Uh, with all the people, I I was, you know, at the time I I didn't really feel like joy about it. I was a little relieved, but, um, I was still extremely nervous because I thought that there may be like people doing drive-by shootings because they told me that they were going to do that. So I was really apprehensive the whole day. Afterwards though, I was, um, you know, after I came down, I was thrilled that people showed up. You know, that meant, uh, a huge amount to me. And I know that they weren't showing up necessarily for me. I mean, some people told me that they were there for me. They were showing up for for my, at least my right and their right and our right to have our own identities. And that thrilled me. And uh, that changed me really drastically as a person. Uh, I didn't know that people gave enough of a damn about uh, a relatively abstract concept. And some may even say nonsense. Uh, the nonsense that gender is, you know, that we have a right to our, our own gender and our own imagination of, of who we are and the right to be perceived um, as we desire, or at least uh, respected for, for how we perceive ourselves. July 3rd at Weespa was a riot. There was a flaming dumpster, and if there's a flaming dumpster, that means there's a riot. Uh, I think that's uh, a great thing because we need a lot more queer riots. We don't need parades. We don't need signs. We need fuck the system because the system fucks us. The details of the day... um, Run down what happened. Yeah, it was really violent. Um, You know, a lot of people got uh, punched and kicked and maced. I myself was punched and maced, not kicked, and people also got stabbed. Uh, There was a right-wing protester that whipped out a knife on camera and stabbed a counter-protester. They also stabbed their friend, another right-wing protester. Uh, LAPD, as far as I know, there's no investigation into that because they're right-wing and really cool. You know, I know the person that was stabbed, the the counter-protester. I did go fund me for them because I really appreciated that they came out and I didn't think that they deserved to be stabbed for standing up for queer rights. I think they're doing okay now, but it took them about uh, 10 months to regain full, full mobility. I didn't know it was that bad. After the stabbing happened, when LAPD finally was trying to quote-unquote separate the groups, they, I believe, shot two counter-protesters, like, with quote-unquote less lethal rounds, but from five feet, you know, they caused uh, one 
one of the protesters to have a hematoma in their stomach, which is basically a pulling of blood. Um, no shots fired at the right-wingers who stabbed people. No charges against them whatsoever. Of course, the police's aggression were towards you know, the trans rights activists. I even watched officers rip down a trans flag and trample on it in their snatch line, basically. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I think I even got that on camera. Yeah, I know the person that was shot in the belly, too. And uh, that was pretty fucked up there. Uh, you know, I think they're like five feet tall and pretty small framed. You know, of course, LAPD will, will pick on the seemingly vulnerable. They came back, I think, was it about two weeks later? Tell me what, what happened that day came back that was uh july 17th so there was another protest against transgender people and uh, another counter protest and at that uh on that day uh things went rather differently the protesters right wingers outnumbered counter protesters outnumbered the anti-fascists outnumbered the humanitarians by at least two to one an LAPD was also far better prepared that day for a riot. LAPD went from, I think, like maybe 30, 30 or so, 30 or 50 cops on the ground to over 100. And that day, uh, LAPD um, declared an unlawful assembly and then started pursuing the counter-protesters down the street shooting at them, harassing them, and eventually kettled a large number of them and did a mass arrest. Dispersing the counter-protesters that way, they also opened them up to retribution and attack from the fascists. A number of friends of mine that day were beaten and uh, surrounded by various packs of cowardly, reprehensible human trash. And uh, so I would say that the that LAPD worked hand in hand with the with the fascists to uh, do the dirty work. You know, LAPD did the mass arrests and the arrests, and uh, let the uh, let the fascists beat up my friends. Um, and. They were basically, like, hunting them down because I was behind the whole police line as they were, like, hunting protesters down the street and they were shooting into a park filled with kids. I was watching, like, parents and, like, elderly, like, grab their, like, children and run out of the park. I watched as we were getting kettled. Um, uh, I heard officers just saying, just grab them. And I watched officers physically assault, like, a 14-year-old who was just there with his bike. Like, they, like put their hands on him, assaulted him, finally, like, 20 minutes of, like, screaming at the cops that, like, this is an actual child, like, they finally let him go, but then they <laughs> proceeded to, uh, mass arrest us, making us stand in the fucking sun for, like, 45 minutes while they took us one by one. There wasn't a third one, right? There was, on the, uh, on the 30th, yeah, the 30th. Uh, but it was small, and there was a street concert, and there were no, um, there were no, uh, fascists present. Correct me if I'm wrong, 
impression I'm getting is even when there is a victory for the day, it's just, okay, well, we stopped it today, but what about tomorrow? And that's kind of been the feeling whenever this kind of hatred bubbles up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, the fight doesn't end, unfortunately. The right is massively moneyed. It is aligned with all the structures of power in society. Yeah, these people that um, that came to to do the the protesting of trans rights, you know, they're all they're largely white, moneyed, healthy, have the uh, social capital, the monetary capital to um, to be violent without worry of uh, retribution and punishment from the police. Uh, a lot of them won't even lose their jobs now if they're outed as Nazis. So the fight, uh, the fight continues. I advocate for queer militancy. Um, I'm an anarchist. Uh, Weespa made me into an anarchist. The police did not turn up for me that day. The LGBT Center of LA, which is the largest queer organization in the United States, did not turn up for me that day. They didn't make any type of, uh, no public statement, not even a tweet condemning the transphobic and queerphobic protest at WeSpa. Uh, that told me something. It told me that institutions will not be there for me. The city council person for that district did not make a statement. Their name's Nithya Raman. They won their office on the platform of left-oriented politics. You only, all they had to do was make a tweet. They did not make a tweet condemning condemning the uh, the hate, but the people did. People people showed up for myself and for the more so for the ideal. Of, of our right to our gender identity. And uh, as I said, that turned me into an anarchist because this, the institutions disappointed me, they failed me, they left me behind, but the people showed up and they were there for me. I urge anyone that's listening to form and deepen your social networks around you, especially if you're queer or if you have queer friends, ally with them. Form your own systems of power outside of the ones that betray us and make our own day better because our our police won't do it, our nonprofits won't do it, and our politicians won't do it for us. That is a really powerful statement to, to end this on. If there's anything else you either of you would like to say before we wrap up yeah just that um we spot was you know the first time that lapd had caused me an unnecessary epileptic episode based off of an unlawful and unnecessary arrest and i didn't even get charged like everybody else that got arrested that day got charges and i didn't get charged i didn't get a ticket i just spent two hours in a hospital i had gotten permission from a cop while they were kettling people to record and then random other cops behind me pushed me into the kettle they're like no you can't leave and I was like but I uh. 
This was during um, we spa, the seventeenth, the second we spa, yeah. Because of we spa, I started to, to connect more deeply with people, particularly in the queer and queer ally uh, community, in the anarchist anti community, and the like. And uh, that's that's greatly affected my art. I am Precious Child, the band out of Los Angeles, and I make Queer Vengeance music. That's my new, that's my genre, Queer Vengeance. And I released an album this year, a full-length album, titled AR-15s for Transgender Teens. Again, AR-15s for Transgender Teens. Because uh, trans youth are under, under um, attack from politicians, and also under physical attack. And if anyone should have guns, they should. I have a new release coming out on July 3rd, an anniversary of WeSpa, and thanks to the anti-fascists and humanitarians that showed up that day. And that, uh, that will be available on Spotify and Apple Music and the like, and on Bandcamp as well. I will also be touring on the West Coast and playing shows in Portland and Seattle and Oakland and uh, on the East Coast as well this summer. So come out and say hi. Uh, arm up, gear up, stand up. Thank you so much. If you guys want to follow me on any social media, it's sunflower underscore haze. That's sunflower underscore H-A-Z-E. Instagram, TikTok. I don't really post on Twitter, but I do have a Twitter. And I do have on my TikTok and my Instagram a GoFundMe for uh, legal and medical and living expenses uh, since the arrest at LA Pride. But that's pretty much it. Thank you. Well, thank you both. And we'll make sure we have all of the links to everything you talked about in the show notes. Thanks so much to Precious and Sunflower. Precious's tour dates and music will be in the show notes. Check them out. It's great stuff. Lastly, time to check in with Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch. This week's What the Fuck Arizona is all about the Arizona GOP's war on drag. We're back with Haley from Arizona Right Wing Watch. It's kind of a double dose of what the fuck Arizona this week, because, like, I have to do the cliche line. Ailey, what the fuck are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so last week I got tear gassed, and this week I got bear mace, so it's been a good, it's been a good month. <laughs> um, so who bear maced you exactly, and what happened? Okay, so... Um, obviously abortion rights protests are still going on in Arizona. Um, our attorney general actually announced this week that they're going to impose the territorial ban, which is the full, which is the full ban on abortion. So we went from being able to get an abortion up until like 23 weeks to now you can't get it at all. So it's a pretty significant change. So yeah, the protests are just going to keep rolling. Like, every day they've been at the Capitol, 
And there's some in Tempe and Chandler and Flagstaff and Tucson and everywhere. But anyway, the one in Tempe, there was a couple in Tempe this weekend for the holiday. Mm-hmm. They were protesting the 4th of July event. It was fine for the most part. Uh, like, they marched into the Tempe Park where the actual, like, 4th of July festival was going on. And then blocked off the front of the stage. Like, they blocked the stage for the whole 4th of July festival. Peaceful, but the cops kept trying to, like, push them out. The Tempe police. They kept trying to force them to leave, telling them they're not allowed to protest at Tempe Beach Park. And it's like, you can protest here, here, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And there was, like, a bunch of legal observers, and, like, every time the police came and tried to, like, kick them out, like, everybody just swarmed them. Eventually, the beach park security, I think, told the cops, like, just leave them alone, because there's a lot of people here, and we don't need to start, you know, beating heads in the middle of the festival. So they, like, stayed the whole concert. There was a cover band called Rock Lobster playing. Did they play a Rock Lobster? Yes. (laughs) And they, I think they got orders not to stop because the protests were going on. Because uh, they didn't, they were trying to like drown them out. So like the the people were just like not taking a break, and they were their voices were cracking by the end. And they kept trying to like interact with the audience briefly, and they just like couldn't. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> End of the concert, they played, like, the national anthem, and the group took a knee and, like, stuck up their middle finger and, like, chanted over the national anthem. A couple people got pissed at the group. Um, Like, one guy assaulted a woman. Nobody cared. The cops were right there. They just let the guy, like, go watch the fireworks or the fire. So... After the national anthem, the group marched out of the park and was marching into the streets. This uh, purple Dodge Charger pulls up to the group and just sprays like a fucking cloud of bear mace. Really directly hits one woman and two kids. One woman starts to walk up to the Dodge Charger, and they release another big ol' cloud of bear mace at the crowd, and I got a nice little taste. My eyes are still kind of burning. But the person who did it was a woman named Jennifer Harrison, and the guy driving was a guy named Michael Pavlock, also known as Mickey Lee Pavlock. They're uh, kind of the leaders of this patriot movement, you know, patriot movement here called the AZ Patriots. They're like a militia who um, has a pretty well-documented history of harassing mosques and immigrants. They patrol the border a lot with, like, border patrol. 
wasn't there one incident a few years ago where they went to a bunch of Catholic churches and like tried to break in or something? Yeah, that was them. They were like a Catholic churches that, you know, assist undocumented immigrants, um, like provide services. They also have a history of, yeah, bear macing uh, Black Lives Matter protesters back in 2020 and like threatening to like shoot them also and run them over. So they're great. They're great people who terrorize the community constantly. And they're friends with cops and Border Patrol, uh, so nobody ever does anything. The night before, they were also patrolling the abortion protests that were happening throughout Tempe. And they're just, like, high-fiving the, the, the Tempe Police Department that's like, patrols the area on bikes. And then the next day, even though those fucking cops were following us the entire time and kept trying to make the the protest stop as soon as the bear maze happened they didn't seem to really give a shit and they just all stood and watched like it happened at the inner uh, like an intersection where a cvs is and they were parked right next to the cvs and right across from the cvs three and four on one side and like they just watched it happen she was able to freely drive off she didn't get picked up or anything yeah (laughs) fucking incredible yeah and those kids were small um one was five and one was nine and like she got them pretty hard the they had to go away in an ambulance so did one of the women that was hit um, yeah, it was pretty bad. There was people that were taking their inhaler. Literally everybody was hit. It was just like a massive uh, um assault on all of us. Chemical weapons attack. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Besides the other Tempe event, she was also at one of the Phoenix protests for abortion rights. She just does this. And... She's always carrying around that mace. I don't... She just used it this time, so that was great. (sighs) Anyways, that was my day yesterday. (laughs) That wasn't what we were originally going to have you talk about this time. Uh But obviously we needed to ask you about that. Yeah, and there's no way I'm not going to shut the fuck up about that, because fuck you, Jen Harris. God, I hate you. (laughs) No, no, obviously, uh... And fuck you, Tempe PD. Yeah, good old Arizona. <laughs> Never disappoints. Well, that was horrible, and now we're going to segue into something else horrible, which is the attack on drag queens going on by the Arizona GOP. Uh, so what can you tell us about all that? Well, there's a lot going on. I mean, all over the country, there's been, like, attacks on Pride events this year. I mean, just in general, but this year especially. Um, And a lot of them are singling out the drag queen story hour, or just drag kind of events in general, especially if they're family-friendly. And it's been happening also in Arizona. A lot of them are being done by, like, Proud Boys across the country, if you've noticed. Like, a lot of states are getting hit up by their Proud Boy chapters. 
um, and they're threatening these events. But here, it's been like a, just a mixture of people. There's like a group of gripers and somebody affiliated with like a militia here called the Patriot Party of Arizona. Not to be confused with the AZ Patriots who just maced us yesterday. But they hang out. I like to call the Patriot Party the PP. Yeah, PPAZ. PP. <laughs> <laughs> There's been like a handful of drag shows here targeted. There's this creepy griper here who just recently got a channel on Cozy TV. He uh, snuck into a adults only drag show. It was like a 21 plus bar event where they did like sex trivia and he like secretly filmed it like a fucking creep and then the next day some people affiliated with him went all the way to tucson and followed that same drag queen who hosted the 21 plus event she was gonna host a drag queen story hour event in tucson at like a children's bookstore and it got disrupted the entire time it was actually a Juneteenth Drag Queen Story Hour event. And like a group of people calling nonstop so the event couldn't happen on the inside. So like the, the phone was just ringing nonstop. And then shouting outside and filming the people going in and out and like filming people's license plates and just calling them groomers. They were also shouting like, do you know that this person did sex trivia 24 hours ago? Like as if that's relevant. Like who cares? So now you can't even go to sex events and be around children within the last 24 hours, apparently. that's That makes you a pedophile or something. I know trying to dissect their logic is, sucks and it's just lib gotcha shit, but it's cool how you could just kind of turn around and say, oh, well, wait a minute. Well, you shouldn't be around kids because you fucked one time. Never mind that it made the kids that you want to be around. Sorry, I don't make the rules. <laughs> yeah. So that was weird. It was weird. Uh, and then the next week, that same drag queen hosted another event. And it was also a family-friendly like book reading event. And uh, uh, the, uh, the group went again and tried to like shut it down. They got kicked out immediately. But um, it's just like a way of harassing these events here. And simultaneously, the Arizona Republican Party is suggesting that we should actually outlaw drag shows for anyone under 18. I don't really know how this is going to work. And they're even suggesting that they want to remove custody from parents who take their children to drag shows. But they were citing, like, a event that recently happened in Arizona. There was, like, a drag show at a museum that also had children there. And they claim, like, it was grooming kids. I watched the live stream of it, and it was pretty, um, it was pretty tame. They were just singing pop songs. Like, people are literally just, like, demonizing super innocent, really nice stuff because it includes drag or the LGBTQ community. So there's that. Honestly, the statement that the Republicans made for their planned legislation is pretty wild. This It says, 
policies of non-discrimination regarding gender expression and sexual orientation are sending a message to society that we should disregard morals and values just to normalize the these unscientific, broad, ill-defined, and subjective terms, which set a dangerous precedent for our children that are too young to be exposed to such concepts. I mean, first of all, that's a run-on sentence. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so is that implying you're going to like have a moral code that everybody has to follow, and if we don't, there's laws that are going to punish us? That's cool. Yeah. The Arizona Republican Party has already passed quite a few bills this last session that target the LGBT community. Like, they passed two explicitly anti-trans bills that would limit trans health care and also completely ban trans women specifically and girls from school sports, even at the college level. Which actually makes it so we might not be able to host some of the national college events. <laughs> A book banning bill passed that would they originally wanted to ban books that included homosexuality in it but they removed that language but that doesn't mean anything that means they'll still do that <laughs> they just have a more polite way of saying that they want to ban anything about gay people yeah i think the don't say gay bill in florida has shown that it doesn't matter what the fuck they're saying they're gonna go rain hell as soon as the bill passes and use it to justify getting rid of anything gay so there's just been this wave of attacks at the legislative level and also like actual extremists, you know, targeting pride events and drag shows. So I didn't want to end this on a completely like doomer note. And there was a very funny story in your recent article, which by the way, we'll link to in the show notes about Arizona GOP's war on drag. Talk about Carrie Lake a little bit. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to do this segment for a minute. <laughs> All right, Carrie Lake. She's she's probably going to be the Republican uh, nominee for governor here. She's Trump endorsed. She's pretty popular. There's Carrie Lake signs everywhere. And she was also a news anchor here for like 25 plus years. So everybody knows her name. But during COVID, she flipped a switch. At first she was like in she was like promoting safety precautions for COVID. And then like a few months in, she started promoting COVID conspiracies and they stopped um she wasn't fired, but they didn't <laughs> they didn't bring her around anymore. <laughs> she she claims she quit. I don't know the specific details. I'm sure we'll never know. So she's no longer in local media. Now she's uh, doing the, the, the Trump tour. She goes to Mar-a-Lago a lot and does the election conspiracy stuff. She's on Steve Bannon's show a lot. All that. Uh, she actually previously was an Obama fan. She donated to him. Her opponent signs all over the... Because all of Carrie's signs are of her and Trump. But her opponent puts up a picture of her and Obama. <laughs> So all around, you just see these pictures of Carrie and Trump and Carrie and Obama all around town. She's also doing the anti-drag thing. She uh, has been anti-LGBT now, even though she used to be the drunk hetero hanging out at the gay bar. After that Dallas drag show, her War Room account tweeted, Let's make this abundantly clear. This is grooming. This is child abuse. Maybe that's acceptable in Dallas, Texas, but it will not be tolerated in a Carrie Lake-led Arizona. 
And then she tweeted like another anti-drag comment on her main account. That led to a local drag queen who goes by the name Barbara Seville to call her the fuck out because she used to party all the time with drag queens and like hire them to do events. She hired Barbara Seville to do a baby shower event and she had her kids around at that. And now she's like claiming you should have your kid taken away if you expose your child to drag. <laughs> and, and you know how they turn it around? Because her daughter's part of Tipusa. So like all the T like Jack Posobiec and all the Tipusa influencers tried to turn it around and be like, how dare the local media go after Carrie's daughter? That was the spin. And it's like, that's not what's happening here. We're talking about the fact that she's a hypocrite. We're talking about the fact that she's calling for people to have their kids taken away if they are exposed to drag. Meanwhile, she used to hire the the drag queen of Arizona to entertain all her fancy friends. Um, and Carrie Lake is trying to issue a cease and desist as if there's not a million pictures and also Carrie never bothered to delete them off of her own social media, so... They were still up. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, and there's also some pictures of Carrie in drag. There's pictures of her dressed up with the drag queens, and then Carrie is dressed up as Elvis. Well, at least it wasn't Elvis dead on the toilet. It's Yeah, she looks... She's skinny Elvis. <laughs> so, she got called the fuck out, and then when she tried to issue the cease and desist, um, Barbara Seville's lawyer sent this fucking hilarious... Uh, like, letter saying, like, she's not gonna cease and desist because there's plenty of evidence and receipts and video that proves that Carrie used to hang out with drag queens all the time. And, um, the final paragraph says, to be clear, Mr. Stevens, um, Barbara Seville's real name is Richard Stevens. To be clear, Mr. Stevens will not cease and desist. If Miss Lake moves forward with filing a suit, I will accept service of process for my client. I cannot imagine your client will be happy to revisit all the time she spent with Barbara Seville when I deposed Carrie Lake. And then it says, Miss Lake was once a respected news anchor for a major TV station. Many Arizonans invited Miss Lake into their home each evening to hear her deliver the news. Something happened to her to make her mean, angry, and sullen. Now Carrie is a bully, and the reservoir of good will she has built up over the years as a cherished news anchor. Well, that's been drained to the point where we might as well just refer to her now as Carrie Puddles. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's good. Chef's yeah, kiss. Yeah, that's a lawyer. Sincerely, Law Office of Thomas M. Ryan. <laughs> Well, thank you for everything once again. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again to Haley. If you're feeling generous, stop by Arizona Right Wing Watch's Patreon or leave a tip at their cash app, dollar sign A-Z-R-W-W, both in the show notes as well. Haley puts her safety on the line, as you heard in the interview, and I think she deserves a lot more for it. And that does it for this week's edition. Thanks for sticking with us again. Me and Borman are taking a week off, so no new episode this week. But don't fear, we'll be hard at work. 
Look forward to more in-depth, informative episodes about our rapidly changing legal landscape through July. Before we sign off, a special thanks to everyone who donated to our L.A. Travel Fund. This episode and our on-the-ground reporting in last week's episode were made possible by your contributions. The Absolute State and all Left Coast Right Watch journalism is supported by listeners and readers like you. If you like what we do, you can set up a recurring donation at patreon.com slash lcrw or check out our pin tweet at lcrw n-e-w-s all one word that's at lcrw news on twitter.com the bird website every dollar helps and so does your feedback and sharing our stories with others until next time listen to Dino snoring a little bit and don't despair prepare